Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, authors Christopher Paul Carey and Wynne Scott Eckert Explore two of Philip Jose Farmer's novels, Doc Savage His Apocalyptic Life, and Escape from Loki, and Farmer's contributions to Doc Savage's history and mythology. The panel was part of FarmerCon 18, which was held in conjunction with PulpFest, and was part of a celebration of 90 years of the great pulp heroes. This podcast was recorded on August 4th at PulpFest 2023 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Wynn Eckert, this is Chris Carey. Uh, I'm one of uh, the three folks who helps run the Small Press Media House, where we publish a lot of farmers' works and try to do a few other science fictional uh, works as well. Uh, and on behalf of Media House and FarmerCon, uh, which are two separate entities but have a lot of overlap because it's all the same guys, uh, I just want to thank the Pulp Fest committee, committee and thank everyone uh, for showing up today. This is actually a huge audience for 2, two o'clock, <laughs> um, so really happy to see everyone here, uh, and thank you. Um, and Chris, do you want to introduce yourself, and then I'll talk about what we're talking about today. Sure. Um, before I was director of publishing at, at Grace Burroughs Incorporated, um, I was uh, an author and a huge... Uh, Philip is a farmer fan, and I was also an editor, and I edited a lot. I did a lot of work with Phil's stuff. I put out three collections in addition to co-editing a Wald Newton mm -hmm. anthology with Wynn here. Um, so um, that's, that's okay. pretty much it. So, right. yeah. uh, so, so what Chris is leaving out is that he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's actually an expert on um, Philip Jose Farmer's authorized Doc Savage novel, Escape from Loki, um, which was the first, you know, new book to come out uh, and kind of set the stage for then all of the Will Murray books, uh, the ones that followed in the 90s and then when Will started publishing them again uh, about 10 years after that. And, you know, it might, it might be, sort of sound strange to say that, that Chris is an expert in, in this book, but if you've read it or just read it once, um, I encourage you after Chris's talk today to maybe give it a second look or a closer look. Uh, uh, he's written several very, um, very studious but enjoyable to read articles, really delving in to a lot of uh, the subtext in this book and a lot of things that Farmer layered in um, that you might not have caught the first time around. So that's one aspect of what we're going to talk today, and Chris is going to cover that. And then after that, I'm going to talk about Farmer's uh, uh, mock biography, uh, Doc Savage, His Apocalyptic Life. And I know a lot of you are probably familiar with that. I'm going to take a tack of how it helped fandom, right, and how it drove fandom. So instead of talking about necessarily the you know, the details of the specific content. I want to talk about it in terms of us uh, and, and how it helped many of us um, come here and be here today. Uh, so with that, uh, Chris, 
by the way, this can be conversational, like we're sitting in the lobby or the bar with a beer or something. So if someone wants to pop in, as long as it's not like a five-minute digression, you know, but a comment to kind of keep the conversation going, we would appreciate that. That's totally fine. Um, uh, so with that said, Chris, why, what grabbed you about Escape from Loki? What is so special about this book that may not have been self-evidently special at, on first reading? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, the book came out of a kernel of an idea that, that Phil mentioned in Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life. So he, he said that in there, and he put it in the timeline, the chronology at the end of the book, mm-hmm. uh, about Doc Savage's adventure in World War I, where he met his aides. Right. Um, um, and uh, so, like, we Doc Savage fans were like salivating for to finally get that right. farmer fans too. Right. Um, when this came out, um, and so I when I first read the book, um, I um, uh, I had, just sort of to preface. I had I had read Farmer around the same time I really got into Burroughs. A little bit, just a little bit after I started reading, I saw Tarzan Alive, and I started reading that. I hadn't finished the Tarzan series, so I read part of that. And I, I, I started reading Phil's works, and so I read his World of Tears and all that. And while I was reading them when I was younger, when I was a like, you know, young teenager, I, I knew there was something that I was missing when I was reading them. And so like, he's mm-hmm. doing stuff behind the scenes in, in these. There's like some kind of machinery moving underneath the surface. And I could never really figure it out. I'd find out a little thing here, a little thing there. But this book, when I read this book, Escape from Loki, the first time I read it, okay, I read it, and I'm like, okay, that was a great Doc Savage adventure. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I liked it so much. I, it's the only time I've ever done this, I think I immediately picked it up and started reading it again. And I ended up doing that five times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, and, and in one of those times, and I can't remember, it might have been the second time, I, 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 one thing just jumped out at me. And I have been like reading pretty heavy Doc Savage at the time period when, it, when I read this. I was making my way through like the whole Super Saga, you know, mm-hmm. the all 80, 181, um, 182, I guess, uh, original Super Sagas, as Farmer called them. Right. And, and, I, and I just, one little thing stood out to me, and it was, there's a, there's a character in here. So Doc Savage basically gets uh, captured and sent to like, a high-security, super-secret prison called Camp Loki. In this book, in World War One, and he, um, while he's there, there's a, a character who's uh, named Baron von Hessel, who's the the commandant of the of the camp, and then there, uh, and then there's a woman there, uh, the Countess Idivsupu uh, Lily Bugoff. Lily Bugoff is her name, and uh, she's a um, this mysterious Russian uh, woman and. When he describes her, he describes her as having unusually long fingers. Right. And that just jumped right out at me. It wasn't, I don't think it was the first reading, I think it was the second reading. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's John Sunlight, Mm -hmm. uh, Doc Savage's, you know, arch nemesis from the 1930s, from from Fortress of Solitude and the Devil Genghis, the original. Pulp stories and just as and, a, just a yeah. quick interjection comment when Phil when Farmer writes something he puts it in there it's always on purpose 
it always means something. We've found this from reading Farmer over and over again. Uh, and it could be the 10th reading. And then, we'll, oh, that thing, that's a clue. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. And that, that's what I was talking about when I was reading it when I was younger. Yeah. I could sense that there were things going on. Uh, I knew he was doing things, but I couldn't put it all together. I didn't necessarily even have the, like, the reading experience, the literature, mm -hmm. exposure to literature that I needed to know to to decipher what he was what he was doing right. behind the scenes. But this right. jumped out at me because I was like heavily into Doc Savage at the time. Yeah. And then so I started looking at it and I started looking at like the character of everything, all the different characters in the book. And um, I started examining the character Baron Von Hessel. And he, he had a number of really strange things about him. He was super intelligent, um, um, very manipulative, uh, scientific genius basically um and there's there's this there's this banquet scene in the book um that was very very reminiscent of uh the banquet scene in Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea mm -hmm. with with um professor aranox and, and ned land and, and all that in fact he does make a reference to Twenty Thousand leagues an offhand reference and that got me thinking um uh about Phil's Wold Newton family because there are connections with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and the whole Wold Newton family. And of course, right. he brought Doc Savage as a member of the Wold Newton family. Right. And so I'm just looking at these like these little pieces. I'm not necessarily going to explain everything yeah. here today that, that I kind of uncovered. But um, uh, one thing about the Baron was he was smoking these giant Zeppelin-sized <laughs> Zeppelin <laughs> guitars. Uh, uh, cigars. Cigar, sorry. Not, not, <laughs> Um, and um, uh, and uh, he was also he had also written a monograph that was on um, treponema uh, pal uh, pal pallidum exposed to X-rays while suspended in diluted cannabis sativa. So what that translates to is the bacteria that causes syphilis uh, exposed to X-rays soaked in marijuana. And it's like, hmm, okay, what's going on here? Um, um, and, and I started wondering, like, okay, the, because the, he's smoking the cigars, I'm like, is there a connection there, you know, because of the marijuana reference, you know? And, um, um, and then cannabis, cannabis sativa, there's something going, you know, it's a sexually transmitted disease. And it seems like the Baron is sort of like, Creating circumstances where Doc is going to be interested in in the uh, the Countess, right. basically trying to get them together to have intercourse, right. perhaps you know. And the Baron is also um, you, you late. I'm going to spoil some stuff here, but yeah. it's an old book. But yeah. you know, he's searching for this the secret of immortality, right. a, 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 an immortality elixir, longevity elixir. That he had at one time, and then he lost it because his his family castle burned down, um, and uh, and so I'm like, okay, what if what if what if this is related to that somehow? Because it's never explained by Phil, and like like Wynn said, he always seemed to mean some something mm -hmm. by that. Um, and then I, I I had also obviously read a ton of Farmer, and in, in the novel of Feast Unknown, which is the Doc Savage, Tarzan sort of parody novel. Mm -hmm. um, 
which also has like a really great science fictional plot behind it, behind all the um, the very uh, over the top yes. uh, parody type stuff. Um, uh, there's a whole immortality yep. thing. It's all about the this secret society that possesses the secret to immortality, and there's only certain eight certain people of the society who who get to use it and. And all in um, in Doc Savage and you know his Doc Savage analog and his Tarzan analog are two of those agents. And um, when they get the when they get get the immortality, they have to have a treatment every so many years. They have to come back to the caverns of the Nine and get exp- and get this this treatment that's going to give them the immortality. But it's never Doc Savage and, or not I should say Doc Caliban, Doc Caliban. And, and Lord Gruneth, These analogs for Tarzan and and Doc Savage. They don't really know how they're being administered the the um, the elixir, and what, what's curious is there are these torches burning, and it's 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 made. You know, he points. He really makes it clear that there's like smoke mm-hmm. in these caverns. So I'm like, okay, there's smoke. The cigar. What if that's what's going on? What if the elixir is actually being you know, like literally under their nose being right. <laughs> exposed to, exposed to this. So, so there's a lot going on. So then, I, so I, the ceremony that they go yeah. through then, where they have <laughs> a certain painful <laughs> organs removed, then maybe that's a distraction, a, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. that's that's not a red really, herring. Right? It's a red, a red herring. herring yeah. right? As part of a ritual, right? Yeah. To make them like think. You know, yeah. this is the ritual, but yeah. really it's this other thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's All what right. they would do, right? Because yeah. they're trying to protect the secret and they sure. don't want everybody to know. They don't even want their agents to know. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I delved into Von Hessel's character because I'm like, there's something going on here with this guy. Um, turns out Hessel means one who came comes from uh, Hessel, which is a village in the East Riding of Yorkshire. Mm. Now, the East Riding of Yorkshire is where Wold Newton is. Right. That's where the Wold Newton meteorite fell, where um, a certain group of people were exposed to the ionized radiation, and it created, created a mutation in, in the genes, and then you get this whole lineage of super people, right. you know, these hero, heroic characters. Ancestors of Tarzan yeah. and Doc, Doc Savage, Savage who were yep. there. Yeah. And so, okay, so that's interesting. Um, and then Hessel also means hazel, is an eye color. And I had noticed a weird discrepancy in the book, which is that uh, von Hessel is described in one scene as having green eyes, and he's described in another as having blue eyes. So I thought, well, maybe the Hessel is pointing to the eye color discrepancy. Mm-hmm. And I, he's, this is felt like calling it out. So you need to figure right. out what this mystery is. Right. So in f- Farmer's... Uh, the other log of Phileas Fogg, which is the secret history behind Around the World in 80 Days, um, you learn that there's actually two warring alien um, groups on Earth and the, and the descendants of, and, and their human agents, basically, who are battling uh, each other. And it's a secret war, so they have to do this war um, under the table, so to speak. And um, but one of the pieces of technology in this is an alien alien technology that allows for the change of eye color. So that's like okay, I wonder if there's a connection there. So there's that. And then there's a scene in the book 
where Doc Savage goes to this uh, Chateau du Massard in the French countryside, mm -hmm. and he finds this very strange, like, secret chamber where, like, kind of satanic rituals are going on. But on the altar, he finds what he, and these are the words that Phil use, uses, a worm unknown to science is sitting on the, on the altar, and it, and it creeps him out. It's a really, really creepy scene. Mm -hmm unexplained in the novel right. like nothing but right. but devotees of arthur conan doyle will recognize that phrase uh, a worm unknown to science from the story the adventure of thor bridge uh, in which there are three stories that are uh, three adventures of sherlock holmes that are mentioned um just in passing by watson right like um, the untold the un stories. untold stories yeah. and one of them is you know this adventure of a worm unknown to science so that was definitely a reference there. Mm -hmm. Then it turns out that Phil Farmer wrote a story called The Adventure of the Soar Bridge, which is alluding to that, and, and he, in which he took those three, um, those three unsolved, uh, unwritten about. Uh, were they unsolved? I think they were unsolved. Yes. Yeah, unsolved yes. cases. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and presents them. So you, you uh, and he used um, uh, raffles. That, right. That just, uh, the character Raffles and so, Holmes, and, and Holmes, Holmes and has, a, has a he's more of a cameo yeah, appearance, yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. Um, to present these three these three mysteries, and in it, um, it turns out that there's uh, <laughs> 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 there's a uh, so on the on the surface there's like a, a mystery involving a gemstone, but it turns out that these gems are actually chrysalises for these alien creatures that turn into in, in in a like chrysalis form they turn into these worms but when they grow grow up basically they became they become shape-shifting aliens mm -hmm. that can like totally change form you know um and and so it's like okay that's interesting right <laughs> so and then at the very end of the book um there's a, a very confusing scene where um, uh, a character like it's during the prison breakout and everything, and um, there are some high high level prisoners. Um, there's one named Duntreath, mm -hmm. and um, he's playing um, playing the game of bridge with a couple other high level captives, and um, and he, they they suspect that there's this other guy, Murdstone, who's really the traitor in the camp. But it turns out Murdstone tells Doc in his dying dying breaths breaths that um, it's actually Duntreath was the one, and um, uh, and it's a kind of this he's dying so he has all these dot 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 and like you can you can only barely piece piece together uh, what he's trying to say, but the game of bridge is descended from the game of whist. It's a it's a it's, it's a uh, modification of, the, of the, the game of whist, which was super popular in the 19th century, and that actually is a game. It features prominently in the other log of Phileas Fogg, that novel that I t told you about. And in that uh, in that book, the agents of the Capellians and the Eridanians, mm -hmm. these two warring alien races, the human agents, they they actually. Um, communicate amongst one another because they're trying to keep everything secret by means of, of whist. So the certain cards cards and plays of the, of the game 
actually are a language, so they can actually transmit missions and things to each other and communicate intelligence to one another. And so I'm like, okay, Duntreath and these these people, the the, the tra- you know he's a, tra- a traitor. Suddenly mm-hmm. they they thought he was one of their allies. Is playing bridge when this fire breaks out and it's chaos consumes the camp and all. And so I started to figure, okay, maybe there's a Capellian Eridanian thing going on here and mm-hmm. communicating by means of this bridge game. Um, and that's kind of, it goes from there, <laughs> basically. Um, uh, I, be- I didn't really say this before, but I believe that um, Phil meant for Von Hessel to be the Baron Karl from um, Fortress of Solitude and the Devil. Wait, was he in both of those? He no. was in. He was in the first. One. The first one, Fortress, yeah. of Solitude. Fortress of Solitude, and he was sort of. Um, was the Playboy Prince? Was he? No, he wasn't the Playboy Prince. That was a different guy, right? Was that? That was a different guy. I'm getting mixed up, but. Well, he was. was but it, but but he was, but he was, well, yeah. Anyway. He was a baron. He was a baron. He was a baron. Yeah, and he was paired up with John Sunlight. And right. So, you, if, if so I started but with the, the roles reversed. Yeah. Right. Almost at this point. Well, you yeah. haven't said who you think. Okay, I haven't said who ahead. I think. I haven't yeah. said who I think that the right. that, that Lily Bugoff is. Right. But I so wrote, Lily Bugoff was the baron's companion that the baron was trying to match up with young with yeah. young Clark. Just as a reminder. So, yeah. are you gonna? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, so I wrote well because like we're pulling back the onions, right? Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. let's just do it. So right. I wrote an article <laughs> called "Loki in the Sunlight," um, in which I attempted to prove that Lily Bugoff actually was John Sunlight. That there had been a sex change mm-hmm. um, somewhere down the line, and there are a number of details when you like John Sunlight the long was fingers. John Sunlight was yeah the yeah. long fingers. John Sunlight was also known for only wearing one color, whether it was purple, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you read the book, Lily Bugoff mm-hmm. is always described as wearing one color mm-hmm. in the book. So um, in a nutshell, that's, that's my theory there. So there's a, this was sort of a, a hidden sequel to The Fortress of Solitude and the Devil Genghis, basically. Or a hidden but prequel. Prequel, prequel, right. excuse yeah. me, mm-hmm. prequel to it. And, um, but it was also... Uh, a sequel to the other log of Phileas Fogg. Yes. Um, so he had cloaked a science fiction novel in what seems to be, on the face of it, just a World War right. One no- novel uh, about, you know, that has some, it's got the, the elixir in it, which mm-hmm. is a science fictional detail. Mm-hmm. But, um, and at the end of, end of the book, Lily Bugoff gets in an accident and basically has her back broken or, or what, what have you. Right. Um, so the question is, what? you know, what happened from there. But right. I addressed that in my article as well. But um, And who do you think Baron Carl was? So, so Baron Carl... I'm sorry, Carl, you just said... Carl, Carl yeah. von Hessel. The, von the, Hessel, von you Hessel, know, I believe, was yeah. the Baron Carl. And anybody else? Was he anyone else? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there, are, there are a lot of clues in there um, that... It's kind of like a la Highlander where you've got like a character who's living down through the centuries, uh-huh. changing identities. Yep. So uh, my article connects him with um, uh, Wolf Larson from Jack London's The Sea Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, it's been a long time since I wrote this article. You, you're more familiar with it than I am at this point. But, well, that was the, but that's the that's, big that's one. The that's big the big one. one. And Wolf, Wolf Larson, Larson is a Wolf yeah. Newton 
uh, is in the Walt Newton. Um, so, the, so the essays. interesting thing yeah. is that yeah. in in the back matter uh, of Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life, where Phil outlines the Walt Newton genealogy, the genealogy in in his eyes, uh, uh, Wolf Larson uh, from Jack London's The Sea Wolf is the grandfather of Doc Savage, right? Yeah. So yeah. what you could you could see that that if Chris is right, if Von Hessel. Yeah. If Von Hessel's prior identity was Wolf Larson, then this is actually a matchup of Doc versus his evil grandfather. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's some dots to be connected and, there, yeah. uh, whether, then, you, whether you buy it or not. Yeah. But, uh, and then even yeah. further, um, he may be Odin. Yes, he, may, he, <laughs> North, he actually may literally be Odin. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot or of this, the person who was the inspiration. Yeah. Uh, for the myth of Odin. And, you know, there's a lot of crossover with his Doc Caliban and Lord mm-hmm. Grunneth, uh books that's more almost thematic. Yes. But you can make the connections and see. And so I came up, when I wrote, like, these these kind of master articles back, you know, like, I consider them, like, my best non, nonfiction, creative mm-hmm. mythography, I guess right. you would call it. Yeah. Um, work that I've ever done. Um, I came up with the term the Farmerian monomyth. Which is the idea that that all of Farmer's works are linked, or a large portion of his works are linked, and that he's telling a meta story underneath. And so this was sort of the the, the beginning of like cracking that that code. And then, as I say at the beginning of my article, I say one you know one can begin. It's like a Charles Fort quote: one can begin a cir- measuring a circle anywhere, basically. But Escape from Loki is a really good place to start to start cracking the code because once mm-hmm. you see that, it branches out into his world of tears, river world, da, 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 you know, yeah. all over the place. Um, but he was a trickster character. Phil was a trickster, mm-hmm. and he loved to layer stuff in. Um, and like I am a hundred percent convinced that this was intentional. All, all intentional. Yeah. It branches out into um, Meteor House published recently Iron Castle. Yes. I'm not going to go deeply into it, but you know how I said the gemstone was sort of like the, the egg chrysalis form of these these extraterrestrials? Well, right. there's a whole crystalline-themed thing going in Iron Castle that Phil added to J.H. Rosny's original. original novel. He adds material on at the end that digs deeper into right. the whole crystal mythos that he was creating. Yep. So it's this huge expansive thing. I know it sounds like the ravings of a madman when I'm up here <laughs> talking about this. If you read my article, which yeah. is in a book called um, The Grandest Adventure that I wrote that collects all of my works on Farmer, I had that article in there and I presented it in a much more logical fashion because I, frankly, I've been so busy with Burroughs for the past five years, it's like wiped my memory out. Nah. <laughs> so. um, definitely look for The Grandest Adventure on Amazon by Chris Carey. Um, it's um, and you revised that. You made some minor revisions. Yeah, this, to, this is the yeah. So the, that's the best the, version like, of the article yeah, to read. That's the best version yeah. Yeah. of the article. Um, so so Chris had mentioned that you know Odin kind of appears in, in several different continuities, um, if you will, by uh, of different of Phil's works. Odin is also, you know, heavily. There's a character in the Secrets of the Nine series, which, um, which Chris had mentioned, is starts with the Feast Unknown, which is Lord Grunneth versus Doc Caliban, his analogs 
for Tarzan and Doc Savage, uh, starts in A Feast Unknown, continues in uh, Lord of the Trees, which is focused on Grunneth, and then The Mad Goblin, which is focused on Doc Caliban. Um, so he mentioned the Nine, um, this secret society of um, immortals who have the secret to immortality and control that secret very tightly. Um, one of the members of the Nine, uh, who is recently deceased in A Feast Unknown, is strongly implied to be Odin, right? Yep. And so that it just carries through. Uh, and uh, I had a theory. So after Chris presented his theory that Lily Bugoff actually was a younger version of John Sunlight, um, uh, I, I took it in a slightly different direction, uh, inspired absolutely by your research, yeah. just, just to be fair. Uh, but I came to a slightly different conclusion, or at least a different theory, was that, uh, was that when Von Hessel was manipulating the sexual encounter between young Doc and Lily Bugoff, that the intended was, result was was to have a child come come from them, and and I yeah. I did consider that, yeah. and I wrote to Phil, yeah. and asked him point blank, right. about it, and yeah. he would not answer. Uh, right, he, he would never answer. <laughs> he said, yeah. "Let your let yeah. your theory stand on its own." Right, is what yeah. he said. Yeah, um, and of course, I mean, of course, you considered it because it's sort yeah. of an obvious, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and so my theory was, you know, despite some of what Dent said about sunlight's age in Fortress of Solitude, and I acknowledge that, um, that Sunlight was actually, John Sunlight, Doc's greatest enemy, was actually his son uh, uh, from this sexual encounter. Um, whichever one you accept or neither, that's completely fine. But yeah, the point is, is, is that these clues are here, and these are not just books. Um, they can absolutely be read just on their face, and then, you know, they're just an adventure, and you put them aside, or you can come back and read them again and again and again and again, like we do, right? Uh, and they're puzzles to be solved, right? And maybe you'll never find the solution. Like you said, Phil would never say, number yeah. one. And number two, um, Phil's no longer with us, so we will never have the absolute answer, but... Um, I think it's even more fun to just go on the journey of trying to solve the puzzle and look for these clues, um, you know, regardless of what the answer is. So I will say that uh, Doc Caliban and Lord Grunneth, um, very late in his cycle, uh, he presented uh, at the 1983 World Fantasy. Is that right? Yes. Uh, World Fantasy, he presented an outline for a fourth book in the series, and then he actually read a projected chapter, uh, which was then memorialized in the booklet. Um, so it's been, it's been in print, it's been available. And in, in his recitation, he, he came out and said, this is an alternate universe, right? Now, that hadn't always necessarily been his stance. I think when he was first writing the books back in the 60s and the early 70s, I think in his head, and this is my theory again, I think in his head he was actually thinking, he was writing literally about Tarzan and, and Doc Savage. So does he actually come out and say it's an I, alternate I, universe? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, 
Okay. Uh, that okay. comes straight. I'll take your word for it. Um, I mean, I don't think he uses those words, yeah. but he yeah. he implies these are. He says now these are alternate. These are alternate uh, versions. The, the, right? I mean, the interesting thing is you look at the the biographies and you look at what he actually writes. Mm-hmm. He says in Tarzan Alive that he is writing analogically. Yes. This is. He said this is the first analogical mm-hmm. biography. Like. He he was doing weird stuff, right? Basically, and so he was claiming that these people were real, and that he had interviewed Tarzan right. and all that. And right. he liked to play uh, with the line between fiction and reality. And but he even really... did that in the introduction, yeah. uh, the short introduction to the Mad Goblin, where he yeah. says, um, "I have this manuscript from Doc Caliban. Yeah. Um, you know, he requested that we present this in the third person because yep. he doesn't like talking about himself yep. in the first which, person. So which is a, a, a trope that, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs did, yeah. but also is in the Doc Savage novels. Mm, There's a particular absolutely. Doc Savage novel. Right. I don't remember which one it is. I think it was um, like, um, um, you would know. Um, where, the one where he says, you know, all the, these these crazy stories that are being written about me. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's what I there thought, you go. yeah. So he doesn't he doesn't say it's an alternate universe, but the chapter says the chapter that he writes has Doc Caliban, and it has Doc Caliban having these these debilitating yeah. visions, yeah. and it's of another version of himself. He knows that, right? Yeah. And so it's very strongly implied yeah. that that's an alternate. He's actually seeing Doc Savage in these visions. So he's Doc Caliban in one dimension. And Doc and yeah. Doc Savage is in and it. It's, that was a yeah. conversation you and I had yeah. several years back that I think was the kernel for what, yeah. what, Absolutely. what this, end, this right. book ended up being. So that's yeah. so so this book covers covers yeah. that topic. It expands on what he did, um, strongly implying that there were two very tightly connected but still parallel dimensions. And the so the really interesting thing about fandom is that these these factions, you know, uh, and these dividing lines occur in fandom, and then and then people have their theories. Um, and Chris's theory is that um, that Lily became John Sunlight, and my theory is that um, Lily and Doc were the parents of John Sunlight, but we're still best friends, right? We don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't dig in about it. We take this stuff pretty seriously, but we also don't take it seriously in a way that affects things. But we, I see so much toxicity nowadays in fandom um, where people divide into these different factions uh, and dig in their heels and, and, and get, get really angry about stuff. It's supposed to be fun, It's folks. supposed to be fun. <laughs> and so this book... Is, is about two docs in two universes with two continuities. But it's also about everything is true. In one version, this is true. And in another dimension, this is true. And in a third dimension, this other, you know, continuity or theory is true. And it's all okay, right? And, 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 and I realized, I mean, I wasn't like writing this book or finishing Phil's work, I should say, intending that to be a theme, right? But that was, that was when I ended it, that was like the resulting theme. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and say it. You know, the two docs, they become one, right? It's all just like the monomyth, right? It's all, there might be different details, you know, but it doesn't matter 
what matters is the message. And the message was that it took two docs to come together to defeat the menace, which, you know, in the book. Um, and Or it could have been three docs or ten different docs, right, all coming into this uber doc. Um, and I know this sounds really mystical, but, um, but I think we've been through so much in terms of fandom and fan reaction you know, and and some negativity. And I just got to say, like, this is the biggest crowd I've ever seen for a farmer con panel, and I'm thrilled because um, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be only Will Murray or only Phil Farmer or only Lester Den. Um, Doc belongs to all of us um, uh, in all of his, all of the varied interpretations. So off my soapbox, but. Um, <laughs> You know, the reason that I got to that point of thinking that way it was because of this book, Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life. And um, this was Doc's, this was Phil's love letter to Doc Savage, just like Tarzan Alive was Phil's love letter to Tarzan. And, you know, I imagine that there are a lot of people in this room that have read this book. Um, maybe there's some that haven't. That's great too. We, you know, we have copies <laughs> uh, at the meteor house table. Um, but the point is not that every single detail that Phil put in the book, um, some of which he added out of whole cloth, out of his imagination, and other pieces which were more straight recitations of the original pulps, kind of merged in all together. Um, it, in the end, it doesn't matter. In the age of the internet. Um, we can look at every single thing he said here and look at some details and pick it apart and crap on it until the cows come home. But it doesn't matter because in 1973, without the internet, without the benefit of computers written by hand, right, transcribed after reading all of the original pulps multiple times through and taking notes, he produced this book, and that's an, that's, that's, that's an amazing achievement, right, in, in an analog world that he read 181 books over and over again and took notes and produced this book, which is why many of us are here today, okay, because uh, I think we're all about in the same general age group. I don't see a ton of young people in here. If 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 you have if there are some younger people in here, please, you know, and you have any faint interest in Doc Savage or the Pulps, read this book. This book was an inspiration to a whole generation of Doc Savage fans who didn't have anything else. You can go and search for anything on the internet today and get it like that. Back then. A lot of people didn't even know that Kenneth Robeson was a pseudonym and that Lester Dent was the primary writer and that there were some other writers. Did he get every single detail right when he was looking at the records and trying to figure out and parse out which, which of them wrote which one? No, he made some mistakes. BFD, right? He, he did his damn best and that's why many of us are here today. This book got many of us into pulp fandom and into the backgrounds of the books. Um, and I know that I'm being very passionate, but this book um, really, truly changed my life. And that's not a cliche. I was talking with Anthony uh, about an hour, hour ago. Hi, Anthony. 
And it was kind of like um, talking about Doctor Who and the fixed points in time and how you can change, you know, time, the theories of time travel and you can change someone's life or other points don't matter, right? Like, well, I went left and went, got a glass of water when I, you know, could have gone right. Doesn't matter, it doesn't change my life, right? But if you went back and took this book away from me when I was eight years old, and I didn't have it, and I didn't have those other Doc Savage bantams that were given to me along with this book by a family friend when I was eight years old, and I read them in the back of a Grand Prix Pontiac driving back from Washington, D.C. to Colorado in the back seat of my parents' car. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be a completely different person. <clears throat> and I, and it's, it's just so... It's, that's what it means to me. And that's what I wanted to talk about today, was my fandom and why this book is important. And I had a, a very similar experience. I, I don't think I would be working at, this is going to sound weird, but I don't think I'd be working at Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated if I had not read this book. Because this is the book that got me reading all the original Doc Savage novels and then ultimately writing uh, the article. Um, the, the that, one that you just the, the talked one that, about. Yeah, and yeah. that I sent to Phil, yeah. and then Phil wrote me a letter back, and that meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s, and, um, and it just set me on fire. And I just dug deeper and deeper and continued writing about Phil's works. And eventually that led to me um, editing his works. Um, it led to me, um, you know, writing the song of Kwasin, mm-hmm. you know. But in his Opar, in ancient, his, in a, ancient Opar yeah, cycle. Yeah, and if I hadn't done that, that and had gotten that, like, that experience and had the, the editing work behind me and stuff like that um, in the novel on the horizon, I would not have gotten hired at Paizo Publishing, which mm-hmm. was a, a, a really great uh, RPG publisher. And if I didn't have that 10 years of working there, being senior editor, I would not have been able to get the job at ERB Inc., Right, and so that <laughs> grew out of that. So it totally yeah. affects your life. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, uh, <laughs> yeah. so this this version of Doc Savage's apocalyptic life came out in 2013 for the 40th anniversary of the publication of the book, um, and, and this version from Meteor House is an aggregate of all of the different prior printings. And that's why we call it sort of the definitive version. Now, to be fair, there were not a lot of major differences, except the first hardcover publication in 1973, Phil actually did some heavy revisions uh, for the first paperback publication in 1975. Thereafter, the paperback publications actually do have a few minor differences. So there was a Playboy paperbacks, uh, 1981, and there was also a 1975 um, British paperback uh, from Panther, I think. Um, and it, all of them uh, have very slight differences. So I reconciled those, um, but reconciled them off of the, 19, the 1975 and post-1975. Uh, so he revised some of his Wold Newton genealogical theories between 73 and 75. Um, that's why we call it the definitive uh, version Um, I wrote the introduction to this, and then we have great bonus articles in it from Will Murray, Chris, uh, Art Sippo, John Small, Rick Lay, and Keith Howell. Uh, And uh, 
So for Doc's 50th, um, we talked with the estate uh, and have put out uh, uh, this uh, limited collector's edition uh, of the book. So it's got leather, leatherette binding with bronze, uh, uh, bronze uh, foil stamping, uh, and then we've got um, we've got the Chrysler Building, Chuck on the back. Yeah. Right? That's a joke. That's an in joke between <laughs> us. Um, we have copies at the table. A lot of them have been pre-ordered, so uh, and so they're going fast. But we still have copies available. Um, the interiors are the same from the ten year ago version, uh, with the exception that we uh, have new colored end papers on the interior, which we can show you at the table. Um, these are obviously wrapped. Um, and the limitation page, if you uh, look at the, uh, at the book with the pyramid, then on the inside, the limitation page will have the artwork of Doc's head. If you buy the version with Doc's head, then the interior limitation page will have the Mayan pyramid. Um, we have copies of both versions available. One, one thing you yes. didn't mention is there's actual, you actually inserted material that, that wasn't in any edition prior you're right. to this. Yeah, so thank that's you. pretty important. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we have access to Phil's files. Uh, and in those files, um, we did find some material from Doc Savage, his apocalyptic life, original manuscript, and um, handwritten graphic trees, graphic family trees, um, which had inexplicably not been included. We couldn't couldn't figure out why. Does he um, mention? In, he wrote an article on writing this book. He does did. He, does he mention? He doesn't. That? No. no. Okay. And that's called writing Doc's biography. Um, it's in here as well, and it's also in our free FarmerCon program, which you can pick up at the table. Hmm. He doesn't mention that. Okay. Um, so I uh, editorially stitched in a couple of paragraphs. Uh, that we had found in his files, and we revised the genealogy graphic to include a couple of additional Wolden family members. One, we, one thing yeah. he does mention in that article is that he was like he was a working writer when he wrote this book. He was living yeah. off his writing, and he took the time to do this, um, which he was you know not paid what he would normally get. He was a like mm -hmm. an award winning science fiction writer. He had already yeah. won the Hugo for uh, To Your Scattered Bodies Go, the river, first referral book and all. And so he was like at the height of his career when he was writing this. And he had to write it on a, on a deadline, mm -hmm. on deadline to get it done and all. And he talks very frankly about that. He's like, right. well, I could have gone on and on and do, did this, but I had to, mm -hmm. you know, I had to write more books. Right. So, um, um, and in particular, um, his version of the of the of the chronology, the fictional chronology of the adventures in the back, which he, hmm. you know, comes right out in this in this other piece and says, you know, it was. I'm not entirely happy with it. I know I know that there are flaws, yeah. right? But he did his best, and within the time limitations, and also not having you know a computer where you can yeah. just edit and move things around <laughs> very easily. Um, so he acknowledged that, you know, and a lot of fans I've, I've read, um, you know, mm -hmm. over the course of, of the years, you know, really criticized the book and in particular Doc's biography or I, Phil's bio, um, chronology. Uh, and to that, I just say, you know, 1973 typewriter, right? I mean, what, what, I, how well would you do, right? Yeah. I, I do want to mention one thing that I think is important that I think isn't really understood about Phil and I think it's what causes a lot of like the antagonism from certain factions about mm. about his work with other characters 
But in when he wrote A Feast Unknown, it's this very raw, over-the-top, um, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, book. Hyperviolent, hypersexual. Yeah, and right. so that that you know really goes against the grain when you're thinking of Edgar Rice Burroughs, who's very Victorian and mm-hmm. Lester Dent, who you know the stand-up hero and all that. And so that it just shocks people. It was meant to shock people, exactly. But Phil had in his background. I just want to mention this very briefly. When he came, when he um, um, in the 1940s, he kind of fell in with a group of. Uh, people coming back from World War II on the GI Bill, kind of uh, bohemians and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they they had smuggled in copies of books that were banned, like Henry Miller mm-hmm. books and things like that. And that just, like, deeply imprinted him that, that, that they could ban uh, a creative work, you know. And I think he, he just, from... from from the beginning, when he did the lovers, he's breaking he's breaking all the codes, yeah, um, breaking yeah. all the boundaries, you know. And so that he just had that strain in him because he just vigorously believed that you should be able to write about anything, mm-hmm. you know. And he had such an imagination that, like, uh, yeah, it's it's shocking. A feast unknown is shocking, but if you get past that, there's an amazing storyline there. It's like one of the best science fiction novels I've read, right? Um, and um, but people don't take that into account that he really he really had that streak in him of he needed to uh, be able to express himself and not be filtered, you know. And, and yet it was not, um, those characters were not he, cast in a negative light for him. He loved those characters. He thought it yeah. was funny. Yeah. He thought it was funny. It was, he, it was he over was the not, top satire. He was not trying yeah. to, to dishonor those exactly. figures. Exactly. It was the exact opposite. Exactly. Yep. And that's what some people don't get right. with him. Right. So, um, so I looks like we have maybe three minutes for questions. <laughs> um, but before before we take questions, if there are any, I wanted to thank Ron Hill for um, being our videographer and and recording this. Um, and Ron also has a copy of uh, 1975 edition of Apoc- Apocalyptic Life which he is handing out to Doc fans to ask to inscribe with their experiences or, or why they're fans of, now, of Doc. Let me, yeah. let me correct you. Sure. Yeah. Asking people that I interview for the documentary okay. to sign this. Okay. All right. I'm sure everyone has seen this book before. <laughs> <laughs> the one that so, find, so find Ron uh, and, and talk to him about Doc. Um, and thank you again. For, for the video. We appreciate it. Okay. Any questions from yes? I have a continuity question regarding your theory. Uh, John Sunlight appeared in nineteen thirty eight. Yes. And my recollection is he was not young. Correct. So I don't see how he could be the result of the tryst. I understand. And I and and if you remember I did mention that there was the age issue and, and 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 uh, in my longer write-up of my theory, you know, I, I addressed that probably not in a satisfactory way, which is why we have yeah. you know differences of opinion. I said you know he was you know um, pretending to be older, makeup, you know, things like that. Yeah, it was yeah. all part of the conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. That was the key reason that yeah. I went with my theory, mm-hmm. though. Right. right. Yeah. Can you be more specific? Your theory was that Lily had a sex change. Yes. Or was she non-binary from the beginning and then just mm. masculine? Well, it's hard to say, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't know which way you yeah. fell. Yeah. yeah. 
don't yeah. really know. But Lee? Yeah. In light of the uh, timeline put forward by Robert Heinlein in All You Zombies, where the one character is both his father, his mother, and himself, is it possible that John Sunlight is both Doc's child and lover? Sure. <laughs> as as I said, there are multiple realities <laughs> and multiple uh, multiple possibilities because of those multiple realities. All right. Okay. I think we're Chuck. Ch I just want to yeah. point out that because of Doc Savage's apocalyptic life, is we all can write articles like that. Yes. And we can all put those sort of things out there and discuss them in, yes. in whatever way we can. And I'd like to read that article where. John is his son and his son. <laughs> right. It's a short story by Robert Heinlein called All You Zombies. Okay. Well, the one you're going to write about. Yeah. One more question. Okay, so where do you, if one of us wants to write an article, where do we write it? <laughs> so that would be the Bronze Gazette. Bronze Gazette. Uh, you can send it to submissions at bronzegazette.com, and thank you for the opportunity to do that plug. Absolutely, and the plug is very, very well founded. Bronze, Bronze Gazette is old school printed fanzine, three issues a year. Right. Uh, okay, yeah. And, and my original articles were first printed in the Bronze, in the Bronze Gazette, Gazette under Howard Wright. Right. Yeah. All right, thank yeah. you. Thanks. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. Also, look for the PulpNet on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. This Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2023 by William P. Lampkin. All rights reserved.